we have higher expectations for our kids' emotional development and um, lower expectations for their physical. Like, don't hurt yourself, don't try that thing physically, but we could, our expectations of them physically could be higher and our expectations for them emotionally should be lower. Welcome back to the show. Today, my guest is a D Cashew. Dee was the founder of Working Against Gravity, a nutrition company that improved nutrition for the athlete, but also for the general public by the way of behavior change. More recently, Dee has shifted her focus to her own family and her marriage. And what's interesting for me is this is how I found out about Dee in the first place. She was a guest on her husband's podcast, and they spoke so profoundly about the importance of building and maintaining healthy relationships and developing the toolkits to help promote that for the long haul. And we dive into everything from how fitness and nutrition has changed for her as she has now become a parent, as well as the empathy that she has gained from that experience. There's so much packed into this one, you're going to love it. Hey everyone, real quick before we dive into the episode, you probably heard about this podcast directly from someone else or saw it shared on social media. We can only grow, spread our message further, and keep bringing in awesome and amazing guests with your help. If you could take five seconds and hop on whatever podcast platform you're using and leave us a review, it would mean the world to us. On to the show. Casual, welcome to the show. Thanks. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> I'm good. My, I just put my four month old down to sleep, and it's kind of nice to just have an adult conversation. <laughs> I can imagine. Here. Yeah, we had friends over this past weekend, and um, both of them have just had kids in the last three or four months. And the one of my buddy's wives was saying that. She wasn't the type of person to ever want to really put on makeup. And now she loves the excuse to put on makeup and like human, like real adult clothes and like go out with friends and, you know, to grab a drink or go grab a bite of food and how it's just so funny how you value things differently once kids enter the equation. Yeah, totally. Your whole perspective on the world can shift. Yeah. Well, and you and Mike, uh, your husband just moved uh, recently into a new house, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we moved to a new house that we used to live in like the heart of Austin, like in the city, um, like one of the closest neighborhoods to the city. And then now we live 40 minutes outside of the city, um, kind of what you would call the country, I guess. Oh, nice. Well, ironically, I am traveling to Austin tomorrow. We have a uh, we have a tinker meetup cool. with with Two Brain, yeah. I, so I'm really excited. I've never been, but I, I've heard so many things, and it seems like like everyone's ever like just as many people as are moving out of California are moving to Austin. Like I feel like it's just become the new place to go. Hmm. Yeah, I love. We we've lived here since 2016, so um, it's awesome. We love Austin a lot. 
That's great. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's uh, if, if you're an outdoorsy active type of person, it just seems like kind of the hotbed for all of that. Yeah. And also like if you want to be challenged in the like emotionally, uh, business wise, if you want to be challenged physically, like all of the best people in those categories happen to just like live here. Like you have, you know, the best podcaster, Joe Rogan's living here. Then you have Elon here. And then you have um, like the best people in health and wellness, like supplements or just the best thinkers, philosophers. Um, They're all like here for some reason. And so everywhere you go, there's like challenging conversation. There's just people just pushing themselves and growing and challenging themselves. I love it. Interesting. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, New York was, uh, for showbiz and now Austin has kind of become the place for nerds you know, of all kind. Yeah. I could say that's true. I wish it was more beautiful. <laughs> Although the country is a little bit more beautiful, but it's not like, you know, Utah or California. <laughs> sure. Yeah. We, um, my wife and I did, uh, kind of an excursion adventure trip through, um, Nevada, Arizona, Utah in the spring. Um, and in hindsight, I'm very glad we did it because, and um, we found out she was pregnant just a few months after that. And we did like 50 or 60 miles of hiking and I got like super, super into it. And then we came home and I was like looking up hiking spots. I, I live in, uh, Pennsylvania. We lived in Delaware before, and I was just so incredibly disappointed with the, the the views and the range of of hiking opportunities near where I am. And I was like, "Oh my gosh! Like, am I really going to consider transplanting?" But I don't know. I care way too much about friendships, and I feel like everyone I care about lives in this area. So, unfortunately, it's gonna uh, I'm gonna have to rely on vacations and and traveling and business work to be able to get out to see some of these beautiful places. Oh yeah. We're in the same position. Community is like, if we cared about the the views and the hikes, like we wouldn't have chosen Austin. Um, there's just like way more beautiful places in the country. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Well, and, and I love that about you guys that, you know, you do think so highly of community and I do, I want to dive into uh, your background story a little bit. Um, so I found out about you when um, your husband Mike was running back then was the Brute Strength podcast and then now is the Mike Caju podcast. And one of the things that I found the most fascinating about that podcast is that it seemed to me like the majority of the conversation was around strength and conditioning, nutrition, mindset, and those sort of things. But yet when he would have you on or other specialists, the conversation and topic around relationships seemed to actually create the most amount of buzz. Why do you think that your audience had such a yearning for that? Man, I think there's probably like a combination of factors. Like one factor is that maybe in this space that we were in, like fitness and nutrition and wellness, um, people aren't having those conversations. So they're not like exposed to, they're not maybe reading those books or having those conversations. So then when they hear somebody who they listen to or get um, information from talk about that, it's novel and new and interesting because we all are impacted by those topics and we want to know about them, but 
maybe they're not thinking about it that often or talking about it or trying to grow in that way. Um, so I think there's like a novelty piece. And then I also think that um, Michael and I have like an interesting charisma when we like are or like chemistry with each other. Um, and yeah, I think there's like something about, I, I, I think we're like relatable and also we do a lot of work on our relationship and are transparent about that and open and honest. And I think it seems like people like that, but I also don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's something to be said about the intentionality piece, right. And the willingness to, to talk about it, um, you know, very openly and publicly. And, and I feel like there are a lot of people out there that um, might be missing that in their own relationships and recognize uh, how much the intentionality has benefited you two. And, and it, it comes off in just how casual and sincere your form of communication is with one another. You know, and I think that's kind of the portal into anyone's relationship is like you can see how they interact and talk with one another and get a really good sense of what the home life is like. Like you're not, you know, you meet some people and you're like, mm, I wonder if they're like that in person or like when they're behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. And I think with you two, it was very apparent really early on for me and a lot of your listeners that what we were getting coming through uh, the mics was just how you two were 99% of the time. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. No. So I think people kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Now you've had a lot of experience working uh, with nutrition. You were the founder of Working Against Gravity and uh, you've mm -hmm. had experience working with all walks of life uh, when it came to, um, you know, behavior change and nutrition, uh, including, you know, CrossFit Games athletes, but also you know, you just your average Joe or Jane looking to uh, get a better handle on their relationship to food. What are some of the biggest lessons you took out of working with with so many people? Um, the first one that comes to mind is that no matter who you are, like all of your all of the patterns are kind of the same. So whether it's a someone who's trying to win the CrossFit Games or it's my mom we all have such similar patterns and relationships towards food and to build a habit is the same. It's just like finding what motivates somebody or like, what do we need consequences? Do we need motivators? Do what is it that's going to work to actually get someone to commit to something? And it's just interesting. Like all humans are kind of the same. We're all, we're all kind of the same. We all carry different ways of building habits, but the issues around food are pretty universal. Like we, it's to, balance is not. Um, I saw saw somebody said this recently. Forgetting who it was, it was some type of actress. But balance is like not a stagnant thing. It's like a constant moving. Mm. And if you're trying to get into balance, you don't just like get there and stay there. It doesn't work like that. It's not a it's something that needs to be constantly recalibrated. And that was like a big lesson for me is just this doesn't, it doesn't end. You don't get a nutrition program. You don't achieve your goal weight. You don't win the CrossFit games and then it ends. Like this is a thing you're doing forever. If you want to be healthy and happy and, you know, you don't have to exactly do things the same way, but it just doesn't really end. 
Right. Yeah. Um, I think another way I've heard that explained mm -hmm. is that, um, you know, we think of things as binary, whereas most things are fluid, um, or at least operate on a continuum, you know, and, and this mm -hmm. is, this exists even, even in the world of, of athletics, you know, like, um, I think one of the surprises to kind of like, you know, pivot a little bit is for instance, like with athletes, I think people assume that like at high levels, athletes are just constantly doing the most complex thing all of the time and that they don't ever experience setbacks. And the reality is that athletes are constantly substituting movements and, and training programs and having to make, you know, uh, different iterations of their, their daily training regimens because of things that they're, they might be dealing with. And I think their nutrition is much in the same, like, you know, Sure, we have these examples of like a Matt Frazier where he basically put himself into a box for, you know, a year or so at a time where he he would just like avoid all media and just completely try to optimize every area of his life. But I'm sure even in that instance, there were things that came up that forced him to make adjustments to his nutrition on the fly. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, he's an interesting example where he just like kind of sat on the couch for months and like not a lot of games athletes do that. Well, um, yeah. I, yeah. Well, and that's, you know, that's the, the, uh, the, the epitome of, of the whole idea of like, there's no solutions. There's only trade-offs. Like that was a massive trade-off that he decided to make in order to be able to try to put himself at the top of the mountain where no one else was willing to go. Mm-hmm. And, and not every strategy is going to work for every person. Like there are athletes that could do exactly what he did and they wouldn't make progress if they did something a little bit different. Um, everyone has different things that work for them based on their training age, based on their previous experience, based on their like emotional baggage that they're carrying with them. Like different things work for different people. Um, that's true. Like it was just continuing to tinker. Um, but there's not one person out there that I've met that has, doesn't have like some difficulty being committed and disciplined. Like it's just, they all have a hard time being committed and disciplined. All of them, every single one, even the most motivated. Yeah, no doubt. Well, no, I think that was a really um, good point, which is that, you know, while that plan obviously worked out well for him, it doesn't mean that somebody else is going to be able to onboard that to the same effectiveness, you know, and, and, and that speaks to some of the, the psychological differences, uh, for every person, you know, you mentioned that food in a lot of ways is the same for a lot of people, but we can both appreciate also some of the nuances that are highly dependent on whether it be, you know, biological, psychological, physiological differences from mm -hmm. person to person. And I think, in large part, what we're doing when we're working with these clients, uh, through their nutrition is, is helping them better understand themselves. Yeah. Like how awesome for you to be able to tinker with your own nutrition for me to like, I've gone through this myself. Like I've been working on my own nutrition since I was 16. I'm 32 now. And so it's like literally half up close, like half my life. And, um, I have had to do a million different things to be able to feel good in my body, whether it's having babies or breastfeeding or training changing, or it's just all changing. And I want other people to have the skills and be empowered to be able to do that for themselves. The way that I can do that for myself, like try something different, 
figure out how to be committed and disciplined with it so that I can actually receive the results and see if it works for me. But it's the, the not being disciplined with it where you can't know if it's working or not. So a lot of people who are like, I tried that, but they didn't really try it. So you can't know for sure if it worked for you or not. Yeah. I want to break that apart because there's two really important points that you just uh, you pointed out there. One being that it's the need for developing a toolkit. Right. And then, you know, I think of like Kelly Star at back in the day of talking about people needed to develop a toolkit to be able to do the basic maintenance on themselves. And I think you can develop a similar toolkit for your nutrition. But you also pointed out that while that nutrition can be used or the, the toolkit can be useful, you also have to apply it long enough to actually get metrics and data back that are informative. Mm-hmm. Long enough and accurately enough. Touche. Yes. Like, okay, I want to try keto, but I'm also going to have beer or a bagel every morning. Like, even if you did that for a month, like you're not actually doing it. So you don't, the metrics you're getting aren't accurate. Well, and this would also play into the importance of choosing something that you can do even on your worst day, which keto mm-hmm. rarely ever falls into that category for most people. <laughs> For most people, for sure. Although I do love me some high fat foods, but oh no doubt, uh, it's for most people the like strict keto, like all the way, just like doesn't work for most people. Yeah. Now, how has welcoming the uh, now second kid into your family adjusted not just your own nutrition but your perspective on the nutrition of others? Um. Well. I think it really impacted my perspective on people in general. I, I, I know you're having your first, so this might feel good to you or not good to you, but <laughs> zero to one for me was, and I'm realizing everyone has a completely different experience. So take this with a grain of salt, but zero to one was a complete identity shift. And that was challenging. Like, Oh, I now have to combat like, I'm a mom, but I also want to be a person and I want to be able to do my own things and I want to have my freedom and independence. And how do I do that? But I actually didn't find it challenging in the ways that people had warned me about. Like, you're never going to have sex again. You're never going to have date night again. You're not going to sleep ever again. Like those things didn't, it wasn't the way that I experienced having one child. Just those were not the things that were challenging. And then going from one to two it's just been like completely different, incredibly overwhelming, very way more challenging, like just way, way, way more challenging. And so the things when I, that I thought when I had one, I was like, I can't, I can't fully, I couldn't fully understand why people were like, I can't get things done because I'm like, I could just bring him with me. I could wear him. I could put him on the counter. I could like from zero to eight months, my first was just like, kind of chill came with me everywhere and I could do a lot of things with the second she's completely different like she's a completely different baby she doesn't take a bottle so I can't leave her for more than three hours like there's so many things that are just so different about her and I'm like oh this is what they're talking about like this is it this is what and and maybe some people don't experience that with two maybe they have two that don't give them those challenges, but, um, it really has changed my perspective of the, I have a lot of experience with a lot of different people and can help people 
you know, troubleshoot different skills, but nobody knows their experience better than themselves. And I don't think people are lying about their experience where I used to be like trying to call bullshit on people. Like that's just bullshit that you can't do that. And in certain scenarios, it's just not bullshit. It's not. And I, and I have, I think I go back on my like previous beliefs where I'm like, you can do it no matter what and being like hardcore. And I'm like, okay, maybe actually for this season of life, that standard or goal or whatever you're trying to abide by needs to take a back seat mm-hmm. because it's actually just when you lay out all your priorities, maybe it's there in the, in the, on the table, but when you see how much you can hold, it's not coming off the table in, in your top list. So that has to just like take a back seat for now. That doesn't mean you don't prioritize it and you don't want it. It just means like this is not a priority right now and that's okay. It doesn't mean it's going to be that way forever. Right. So that's impacted my beliefs around, I guess, nutrition, but really just people in general. Yeah. And I think this is why, you know, unwarranted advice and even more so shaming around parenting is just so incredibly toxic because it just lacks all sense of empathy for the fact that every kid is different and every situation is different. And to place your own uh, judgment on based on your own personal experiences on somebody else's that's, you know, a new, new parent is, is just unneeded because the reality is, as you alluded to, every kid provides different challenges and obstacles. Mm Mm-hmm. And they meet you at a different period of time in your life where different things are going. I do things with my son that I thought I, I thought I would never do. I'm like, I would never, ever do that. And I'm doing it. (laughs) I'm I'm doing it. Like I need to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Now. um, So obviously like this has kind of shifted for you a little bit and you had mentioned um, that you know, part of it was an identity change with the first one. And and one of the things I wanted to ask you was, you know, you and Mike, for that matter, are both very driven people, right? And and Mm -hmm. you constantly are optimizing for this life in which would fall under a category of like thriving. And you cannot possibly thrive all the time, especially under the circumstances of, of having to make this identity shift. And I would assume that part of that identity shift is understanding that you're going to have to go into a mode of survival for quite a little while while you're kind of acclimating into this whole new family structure. What was it like for you going from a place of being just so focused and so busy on all of your personal pursuits to like, okay, now I'm in mom mode? Oh, I mean, it's harder with the second than it was with, with the first. Um, but it's, it's like kind of nice in a lot of ways. One that I think it's called Murphy's law where the space, the things that you have fill the space that you have. There's a, I don't know if it's Murphy's law, but there is a law that's like, okay, if I give myself uh, it's, a deadline, I think it's Parkinson's law. Okay, maybe it's Parkinson's law. Whatever <laughs> law it is that I it's a law. that I yeah, yeah, there is a law that's like okay, if I say I have to do this by Thursday, I'm gonna take all the way till Thursday. Most yeah, of the time. I think it's like, like gonna, the things you have expand to the timeline that the timeline horizon that you give yourself. Exactly that that. So I realized just like how much how I could do things 
my capacity and Michael's capacity has increased tremendously. And I did not, I already was a high capacity person. Like anyone who knows me intimately and sees me in my business life, my personal life would call me someone with a very high capacity. And my capacity with each child has expanded. Like I can just do more, get more done. And I'm not sacrificing quality. I'm just like way more dialed in with what matters, how much time it actually takes. And I just do more. And that's like, that, that's like kind of a beautiful thing. I also just have so many more slower, less stressful, like beautiful, peaceful moments in my life, which I didn't have before. Um, because I'm kind of like trapped in a rocking chair with a baby and like, I can't do what I want to do. And that's just, you know, I am in a rocking chair. She won't sleep anywhere but on me in this moment. And I know like the best thing and the only place that I'm supposed to be right now is in this chair rocking her to sleep. Like that's like the only place. And there's one, the annoying aspect of that, like just sleep in the crib and let me go do something. (laughs) And then there's the, like if you zoom out, the age from zero to five is so unique in their like, They're so dependent on you. They're so small. They don't, they're like just building their little nervous systems. And it's so quick. Like that's just so true. It's so quick and it's so unique and you're never going to get it back. And so sometimes I'm like there thinking, you know, maybe this is the last time that I do this. Like what would it, what would I do if I like was conscious to this being the last time that I'm going to, because I don't rock my son to sleep that way anymore. I wish he does not let me do that. I wish he would, but no, like I don't rock him that way. And there was a last time that there was a last time that I rocked him to sleep that way. And I like more present. How would you say, how would you say that having kids has helped strengthen your relationship? Oh my God. Like so much there is, so many more neat one. I can totally see why people get divorced for sure. (laughs) Like I totally, I've heard and read and seen in so many different places that from the like child's age from zero to two years old is like the most challenging time on a relationship because both people are going through this identity crisis. And then both people are trying to like imprint their own wants and beliefs and desires onto this child. And you're just, you have this whole new layer of responsibilities that needs to be divided across who's going to do what. And that is on top of what you were already responsible before. So we had, we had things like dialed in, like I knew Michael takes out the trash. I do this. Like we had all of our like secular tasks, very divided nicely. And then you add this human in there and there's this whole huge amount of tasks that he that requires to take responsibility for them and now it has to be kind of like re-divvied out and it's like we're both trying to like protect our own selves and then he's much better at protecting himself and I'm much more the like I'll acquiesce to the to the couple or to the family like I'll just like sacrifice which can go into that like martyr mom mother martyr like thing and I try to avoid doing that um 
So we've had to like really learn to just communicate. We've had to be so intentional about the way that we spend time together because if our time with each other was 100% before we had kids, bring in a kid, 80% of that time is, is gone. Like the time that it's just me and him. Yeah. So 80% of it's just gone. And then we were left with 20%. And now we have a second kid. So now take 80% of the 20% gone <laughs> of just like time where it's him and I. And that's not forever. Like eventually they're both going to be in school and eventually they're going to hang out with friends in their free time. Like it's not forever. Yeah. But right now the amount of time, it's crazy to miss somebody when you're with them all the time. Like we're around each other all the time, but I miss him. Like I miss him. I miss just like being just the two of us in that like yummy, delicious, like energized, fun and playful way where like our time together is like with two baby monitors and we're tired and we're talking about who's going to go get diapers. You know, it's just like not sexy. There's like nothing sexy about that. <laughs> right. Well, and I was going to so ask. We have to be so much more intentional. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I was going to ask like clearly – um, you know, there's, there's obviously a freedom that comes with having your time constrained so heavily and that sounds so backwards, but as you had alluded to now you're in a place where like it forces you to become just so incredibly appreciative in the moment when you do have those quality experiences, be it with either one of your kids or in this case with, with Michael, um, but on the flip side, like I'm sure it's also hard not to have conversations around putting out fires when you have time with him, you know, whereas like, it's mm -hmm. like, how do you experience time with your significant other without feeling like you're constantly just kind of like waffle method working through all of the things and triaging your to-do list and just be like, we just need to be together. Like we just need to have time. Yeah. We, the way that we do it is we have a meeting once a week for the triage. Mm. And outside of that time, we don't really talk about it. If it's like solo time, like if we're just like during the day, I'm like, Hey, did you remember to do that thing? Like, that's fine. But if we're alone together, we're not talking about the, the to do. So once a week we have what we call a check-in and or like a board meeting, our friends, Andy and Libby call it a board meeting. So it's like our relationship board meeting. And then we go over our calendar for the next week and we're like, Hey, you're going to this appointment. You're taking him to get a haircut. You're taking her to the pediatrician. And we do that. Like who's doing what? And then, um, we talk about, um, date night. Like when are we going to do date night? And we talk like logistics and then that's it. Like we're done with the logistics for the week. And then we don't talk about it again until the next week. And so we know that it's been talked about and we have space to talk about it. And there's so many times I want to talk about something in the middle of the week. And I know it's not actually needed to talk about right now. And I'll just save it for the next meeting. Yeah. I was going to ask like, how hard has it been not to blur those lines? Uh, if I, if I have to blur it, I'll usually send it in an email. Where I'm like, <laughs> okay. We don't have to, it doesn't have to come out in this moment. I'll just be like, okay, I need to get this out of me so I don't forget it. And then I'll just send it to him in an email. And I know he's going to open his email in a time where he has like, this is what he's doing right now. Like he's in his email doing like work related type stuff. Yeah, no, I love that. That just works for us. It doesn't necessarily like other people might have different parameters around when to talk about that but it's like date night or when you're alone cuddling on the couch is like not the time 
for everybody. It's not the time. Right. I think the matter in which you go about, you know, making sure that you have those so, you know, so-called board meetings are important. Um, uh, you know, people can choose to do that in whatever fashion they want. But I think the important point is just not allowing it to seep into date night and at least making sure you're penciling mm-hmm. in date night. You know, that's, I think that's mm-hmm. probably one of the most consistent pieces of advice we've gotten from couples that, uh, you know, have either had a kid recently or, you know, have, a, have kids that are still very young. They've said, you need to make sure that you are penciling in time with one another that is free from the kids, free from distraction, free from obligations, and just enjoy one another. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's, it's so important. And at the end of the day, like your wife is your person. That's your person. Your kids are going to find another person and they're going to have their person. And that's going to be who they live with and who they love and who they're with until they die. Like that's their person. Michael's my person. And the foundation of our relationship is the most important, not only for us, because he's who I'm going to be with forever. He's like, there's my love for my kids. Isn't even comparable. Like we can't say, who do I love more? Like they're completely different. And I love my children so much and he's my person that I'm going to live with forever and be, he's going to be my person forever. Um, And it's important in the sense that my kids right now are learning how to love and what love feels like and what love looks like based on the way we interact with each other. Mm. So when they go out to find somebody to love, they're watching us and they're feeling us and they're witnessing what love looks like. And that is important to me because I want them to have healthy, amazing relationships in the future. Because if I think about it, like I said, I'm going to spend the most amount of time with Michael compared to anybody else in my whole life. Like the most amount of my time is spent with him. Yeah. That's a point that my therapist made to me that I think was so important. Um, and this was, this was early on when uh, my wife, Joya had just gotten pregnant. We started having these conversations around, expectations and, and, um, you know, some different framings of how to think about your relationship in the context of being both romantically, you know, together, but also as parents. And one of the things he said is that people often get it backwards. They think that when you have kids, you put your kids first immediately. And he's like, no, you have to put yourself first immediately. Then you put your significant other and then your children. And he's like, the reason that it goes in that order is you have to take care of yourself, right? We understand that's kind of the base of the pyramid. Everything else falls apart without that. But it, your significant other's needs are more complex than your kids. Like they're a full grown adult. So you need to continue to work on your relationship and also be there for your partner because their needs are very complex. Whereas like the needs of children very, very early on are, are rather simple. And also to your point, the kids are completely, you know, just complete and total sponges in being observers of the way that you handle conflict, of how much you love each other, of the way you spend time together and appreciate one another. And, you know, that just becomes an extension of who they are as they get older. So yeah, I love that sentiment. Mm -hmm. Now, are you involved in, uh, what other projects are you getting into right now? I know you're kind of in, uh, in, in surviving mode at the moment, but I, I can't imagine that you're not also getting your hands involved in things. So what's, what's new on the list for you? Yeah, I, well, I'm definitely like mostly in mom mode for sure. We just moved. And so I'm trying to make our house a home and feel like good in this space. 
Um, also, Michael started a business called Soul Searching Adventures, where he takes men on wilderness backpacking adventures to do to learn like wilderness skills, but also do like deep introspection while they're out there. Um, so I help him. Our skills, um, business wise, are very complementary and completely opposite. So I'm kind of the organization support systems. I like remember to do things. He's not as much a remembering kind of guy. He has like his own systems to remember. Um, I don't need those. I like have like the mental, I use them and I don't need them because I like mentally scan everything. Um, So I'm helping him a lot with that, which is just like, I mean, he has the best job ever. He gets to go to bucket list locations with a group of guys, have a good time and be just in nature immersed. And so I'm helping him do that. Um, Him and I are having our first ever, um, we're doing this thing called couples camp, which on our property here, we are bringing 10 couples and we're spending three days camping in like the backyard basically. And uh, we're going to spend three days just talking about love and relationships and sex and conflict. And we're going to bring our mentors to talk to these people, um, which we've never done before. And we'll see how that goes. Um, And then, I mean, that's a lot when you really think about it. Oh yeah. That's a huge undertaking. (laughs) Like that's, that's all brand new. You two are working together. Um, you know, and I love the, the, that there's a little bit of like left brain, right brain going on there. And I feel like any business, uh, owner or anyone running a company needs to have that sidekick or the person that fills their weaknesses. You know, like I, I fall more on Mike's side. Like I'm the visionary that just is like constantly throwing ideas out left and right. And then for me, it's my, my general manager has to be the one to reel me in and be like, okay, how are we going to measure these things? How many of them can we actually do at once? Like, let's actually get a pulse on this rather than trying to do a million things all at one time. A hundred percent. I'm so impacted by the like throw out of ideas that we have to have a way that he throws out ideas because I can't, <laughs> I can't hear the idea and not immediately go into how much work it's going to take to get that idea done. And it's like too much. I'm just like, write it down. He subject lines the email, do not need to answer this. And then he just like sends it. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's the curse of the visionary is, is they never take the time to actually consider how much work is going to have to go into making that a reality. Totally. But then the other side is like the person who is thinking about how much work you can't stifle the creativity because you need to get through like the bad ideas to get to the good ideas. So if I just like shut him down at the first idea, he won't go to the next stage. So I kind of have to be prepared for like the, I have to brace for this onslaught of ideas and know that it's okay that none of them come to fruition for him to get the like ninth, 10th, 11th idea. That's actually amazing. Um, but we have to get through the like initial shitty ideas. Sure. Well, and I'm sure you're also um, incredibly uh, helpful when it comes to helping it go through its iterations to actually become what it ends up being. 
You know, like it's one thing to have an idea. It's another thing for it to come to fruition. And oftentimes by the time it comes to fruition, it's, it's, it's on its, you know, hundredth iteration, you know, you've made so many adaptations and adjustments, um, to, to, you know, get it to where it's going. Um, but ultimately, mm-hmm. you know, the visionary is the one that kind of just pushes the ball, you know, they're the momentum. They're like, here's the idea. Let's get it moving. And then, you know, you have to rely on the other person to kind of manage the mess and, until it becomes less messy. Totally. Yeah. Something I've realized a lot since I've had kids is like, I actually don't, I don't want to be the leader. (laughs) I don't want to be the leader. I don't want to be in charge. I don't want to be the one responsible. I want to be a team player. Like I really love being a team player, like a cog in the wheel, as people say, like, I like it. I like not being in charge. And Michael used to call bullshit on that all the time. He's like, well, how come you always end up being the leader? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. But I don't want to be. Like, I want to share it. I want to be a part of a team. And I I really have realized since being a mom that I just really like being a support person and being a part of a team. And I don't want to be that, like, vision, like, leading, pushing the ship forward, picking the direction. Like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, it, it's it's interesting to me, like having to like what it would take from a self awareness perspective to be able to kind of go to a place of leadership and then go, not like I had to resign from this role, not like you know I was I was removed from this role because of some sort of lack of competency, purely just due to the fact that you're now coming into the realization that like that doesn't fill your buckets the way that you want it to. You know, I think that speaks volumes as far as your ability to just have, uh, be very vulnerable with yourself and, and be honest, you know, in that regard, because that's Mm -hmm. not an easy decision to make. Cause once you get to the leadership role, it's hard to relinquish those, those responsibilities. Yeah, totally. Totally. There's so much, there's so many pros of being there. And I, I'm committed to just like living the life I want to live not for the sake of certain, the ways that things look or the specific types of outcomes. Um, I'm willing to like sacrifice on those things. Mm. Yeah. Now I'm sure you've, you know, thought quite, quite a bit about the ways in which you want to raise your kids, you know, how involved are they in the the day-to-day stuff that you do? And, um, you know, with, with your core values, I'm sure, you know, fitness um, and just overall health being some of them, how much do you involve them at this point? I mean, obviously the youngest one's very young, but um, like, do you have an idea of like the things that you and Mike want to kind of like integrate them into your lives along the way? Yeah, we, the way that we like kind of operate is that unless it's like computer tasks, which it would be really hard for me to have our toddler here right now. Like this would be a completely different experience. Um, Unless it's that he's kind of just with us doing whatever we're doing. Um, We don't do a lot of child centered stuff. Like I don't, we don't do things that like not everyone's enjoying. So Michael hates going to like kids play gyms. You know, like where there's like this huge structure that it's like super kid focused. And 
I actually don't mind going to those things, but he hates it. Like he does not want to be there. Like you have to like crawl in with them into these things. He does not want to be there. So he never goes. He will not take Shy there. It doesn't like he just won't go. But he loves like the trampoline place, like altitude, like the the trampoline park. He'll go there. Or if I'm un- I just unpacked the house, like for three days straight, Shy was unpacking with me. It just that's what we were doing. I didn't stop to do what, what something like take him to one of those indoor places. Like he just does it with me. If I go work out, he comes and he comes to the gym and works out while I'm working out. I'll have like a little bike for him to play for if he, he obviously doesn't want to be doing the workout with me. Um, but he, he they kind of just like, we just like do life and they're just with us doing life. It's not, um, Yeah. And then sometimes it's just like way inconvenient. Like he slows us down so much. He, it makes it way harder to do. And then we'll go and um, like do something that's like all of us enjoy, like a hike or um, something like that. But he's still really young. He's two and a half. Yeah. He doesn't have like things he's like really obsessed with right now. Other than Nemo. He like really loves Nemo, but I don't, I'm never watching Nemo ever again. So. <laughs> Uh, I was uh, I was reading your blog and you had mentioned uh, there's this word that comes up all the time with parenting uh, is part of, uh, you know, kids growing up and it's it's regression. And it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we, we had, as I had mentioned, we had friends over this past weekend and they had mentioned something to the effect of how their their kid was fine, always sleeping through the night. And now they're going through this kind of regressive period. You know, h- how have you been able to kind of manage that as, as um, you know, your older one has gotten older, you're now having all these big life changes with moving around um, and such, you know, what is it like as a parent having to deal with a kid that just, they don't have any emotional regulation, you know, like you are, you are the one that has to help them kind of provide the lens to see the world and kind of help them through some of these ebbs and flows, you know, how difficult has that been? It's, it's so hard. Like this period of time is just really hard, really hard. And I think probably every kid has a chapter that's harder than others. Like some people might have a two and a half year old. It's like a dream and, and they just sit there and hang out and read books and play with arts and crafts. Like it's not my kid. Like he's destructive and, disobedient and independent in beautiful and terrible ways. But yeah, they have no, like he's learning how to regulate his emotions. And we started actually when he was really, really young, teaching him how to take deep breaths, just like when he was feeling good, like not when he's in the middle of a tantrum, not when he's in the middle of being upset or feeling an emotion where you can tell it's so interesting to watch a kid move through emotions because they can just like move through it. And we don't, they like actually feel it. Mm. And I think adults don't allow themselves to really feel it because it stays. Whereas he'll be like completely like so frustrated, so angry. And then three seconds later, totally fine. Do you think And it's like, yeah, I was going to say, do you think part of that is because adults have a million and one stories they can tell themselves about the emotion they're feeling, whereas children, they don't have that yet. They don't have enough life experience to be able to fabricate stories about why they're having the emotion. They just allow themselves to feel it and then it just moves on. 
I think it's the story and the lack, like we don't let ourselves fully feel emotions, especially challenging ones like anger, sadness, fear. Like we don't fully allow those to come through where we've been socialized. Like I'm trying to socialize him. Like when he feels a lot of frustration and anger, I want to help him regulate that it doesn't come out in this full, loud craziness. And I think when we become adults, we don't let ourselves just like, we're like, okay, this needs to like be smaller. We need to feel this or we can't show it in a specific type of way. And however that got taken on, but he just like fully feels it and just lets it out. And then it's over right right after. Um, So there's like obviously an in-between and I will just like get on the ground. Sometimes I just hold him and just, if he lets me, I like ask him if I can give him a hug and then he just like goes through whatever he's going through and I don't talk about it and nothing. And then we just move on. We don't even mention it. Or I'm like, it would feel so good to take a deep breath right now. Like let's take a deep breath. And because we started practicing it when he wasn't feeling emotions, he can stop himself and take a deep breath right now. It's the cutest thing ever. Like he'll just be like, (sighs) (laughs) it is so cute. Like so, so, so cute. Yeah. I'm sure. And, and you know, equally important, it is a life skill that by embedding that now will have tremendous payout later. I mean, um, emotional regulation is such an underrated skill. And if you can develop hot, yeah, (laughs) if you can develop this, like the, the skill sets to be able to do that when you're a kid, you know, just think about, you know, I, I've, I look back and I can look at entire decades of my life where I'm just like, I wish I had that skill. (laughs) A hundred percent. I, Michael's different because Michael went to rehab and he started therapy when he was like 15. So I think he's just kind of a different example. And I've always known him to be very well regulated and he has the skills and the tools. He's been like meditating since he was like 14. Like I just, it's just not your average person. I'm the type of person who's like a little, not me, a lot of, I'm, I can be very volatile. Like I'll just like go off the deep end and, and I'm can be very volatile, especially before I met him. Um, I was really volatile and I could see myself being in the crazy and not being able to stop myself, but knowing I didn't want to be acting the way that I was acting. And I was just being kind of wild and I had no way to rein myself in and I could see it happening in real time and not stopping it. And I can imagine that he's like our children are experiencing that to some degree where he doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to be disobedient. He doesn't want to not listen. He doesn't want to get in trouble. He just literally can't control himself. Like he just cannot control himself. And if I was taught like him to just stop and take a deep breath, which sometimes he does completely unprompted, not like in the middle of a tantrum, but like in the car, we'll just be driving and we just hear him in the back. We'll just take a deep breath and just like, oh, I had that. Yeah. Man, I have no idea who I would have become. Well, what you just described, I, I would, you know, I heavily relate to, which is that that kind of valley of despair where like you have good, um, like emotional awareness, but not quite up to the point of regulation. Like you're in the point where you can, you can like see yourself from like a third person perspective 
as the person that's getting worked up in, and increasingly so, but you, you don't have the capacity to make the shift in that very moment, you know, like, and totally right. Yeah. And that is a, it's a, it's a struggle because I've, and, and like anything else, you know, you get better at it over time, but I'm sure you can relate to this. Like there are certain things for me that are triggers that I know win that battle with me nine times out of 10, mm-hmm. you know, and there's other things where I'm like, okay, cool. Like I've been through this before. I know it's not worth getting worked up over. And I've had to teach myself to get into that mindset. But then there's other things, whether it's like with business or relationship or some of the things that, uh, you know, just have a tendency to kind of fire me up that I genuinely care about. It's, it's harder to reel yourself back in. Totally. My in-between recently has been to just like call it out. Like I'm, experiencing a lot right now and I don't feel like I'm fully in control Mm. of my behavior and just like saying it out loud and then because often if I'm in that out of control period and I see it happening and I can't do anything different it turns into a fight because Michael doesn't understand that I'm not in control and he'll be like you're what's going on and he'll make a story about me being mean or me being unreasonable and I'm actually just completely unregulated and out of control. Yeah. And so I, I just like call it out, but that's really hard to do. Sure. Well, yeah. Externalizing it definitely helps. Um, For me, it was also the realization that you can have more than one emotion at once. You know, Mm. you can be sad and angry, you know, like you can be glad and mad. (laughs) Like there's, I think they're like layered on top of each other. For sure. Generally anger has either like sadness or fear underneath it or shame yeah or shame so it's like all like layered yep it's like they're one in the same yes yeah no i would agree um it is uh it is a battle and you know and i think there's a lot of people walking around that are just that they know that battle exists but they're just like unwilling to to tangle with it at this very moment but i think real like personal transformation starts when you start being the willing to be a bit more vulnerable when it comes to better understanding yourself, especially once you start welcoming kids into the world, because it's, you know, the thing I hate to see are the parents that are struggling to emotionally regulate themselves and then placing that expectation on their, their kids, you know, and it's like (laughs) your three-year-old has zero emotional regulation. Like they're, they're going to run around and get mad and angry. I was, I was talking with a friend the other day. I think Jordan Peterson made this point. He was like the most violent people on the planet are actually two-year-old boys. It's just that they're so. I watched that because I have a violent (laughs) two-year-old boy and it made me feel better. (laughs) (laughs) It was unbelievable. I was like, that's so true, but they're just like so small and cute. You know, you don't think about the fact that they just want to hit everything with their toy. Yeah, they're like complete barbarians because they have like physical independence. They can do things for themselves, but then they also have no impulse control. And so it's like this weird in-between phase. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's, I think it was in Hunt Gather Parent, one the book that said, we have higher expectations for our kids' emotional development and um, lower expectations for their physical. Like we we're we're very careful with them physically as a society. Mm. Like don't hurt yourself. Don't try that thing physically, but we could, our expectations of them physically could be higher and our expectations for them emotionally should be lower. Like they're, 
they're, we can let them be more explorative physically and not hover parent over them. And then also remember, like, they're just developing their emotions and not expect them to be um, put together and socialized. And when he's in the middle of, like, freaking out, sometimes I tell myself he's su- he should be doing this. Oh, like, yeah. He's supposed to be doing this. Like, this is supposed to be he's two and a half. I'm 32. He's supposed to be doing this. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and this is why, you know, I've noticed that there is this immediate, like, like with a flick of a finger, it is this immediate change with parents where they just become these patient beings like you, because you have to, you know, like, I feel like that is such a virtue for everyone just in general. But the minute you have kids, it's like, you just see parents embody this ability to like remain calm for things that like, if you're Mm -hmm. not a parent would drive you absolutely nuts. And the easy example is like the kids song playing in the background on loop over and over again. And like, if you don't have children, you're like, what the hell is that? Turn that off immediately. Whereas when you're a parent, you're just like, yeah, this is, this is my day. Yeah. And you can find hacks. Michael finds hacks. He's convinced Shai. He realizes that he wants to, listen to songs that he knows. So he'll play a song that Michael likes for long enough so that he'll learn a couple words and then he'll, he'll ask for them. So like right now he asks for um, Jolene, the Miley Cyrus version of it. Yeah. Um, a lot of Bob Marley, <laughs> a lot of Jack Johnson. Oh, that's and it's great. because we, he just like will not, he won't do the nursery rhyme thing. He's just like not into it. I'm like, I'll do it. I don't care. Yeah. But Michael's like, nope, not doing it. Now, what has it been like uh, with food and him, you know? Um, and your your second kid, it's a, a girl, right? You had a daughter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what has it been like yeah. for them individually and, and also, you know, together in some sense, kind of finding that, that, that middle ground between like, hey, we do have values around the things that we want to eat, but also you're two and a half, <laughs> you know? Yeah, there. this is – so if we're eating it, he can eat it. Meaning, like, if I'm having ice cream, I'm not going to – I have a friend that would lie to her kid saying it was spicy, and so he couldn't. He wouldn't have it. <laughs> oh, that's, that's classic. Yeah, and then I'm like, but I'm having it, so why shouldn't he – like, we don't have it that often. Right. So if I'm having ice cream – I think he can have ice cream too. That's just like what we do. If I don't want him to have ice cream, I'm not going to have ice cream. Um, That's just how we operate in that way. Um, Also like sugar is for fun. It's not for food. And we have like real food is food. Um, And then when he's with his grandmother, he's going to have sugar. There's like nothing we can do about it. We could talk to her a million times. He's with a bunch of cousins. Like, they're just going to have sugar and that's just what's going to happen. And that's just his experience of his grandmother. And we're just, we like completely surrendered to it. That's just what's happening. Um, that's just what's happening. Uh, but we have like a few like rules, things like if he throws food, the meal's over. I don't care if you're hungry. It doesn't matter. Like we don't throw food. How so early did you start over. that rule? Like, I mean, as soon as you could see that he knew he was throwing his food. Like intentionally. Like, like there's an eight. Yeah. Like he's look. he's throwing his food and he knows I could communicate with him. Don't throw your food. And he knows what that means. Mm. There's like an age where they're learning how to like let go of things and what gravity is. And 
it's like there's they're just playing. He's like, I don't want this broccoli. And he's just like throwing it. I'm like, okay, that's not how it works. Like you can put this to the side and you don't have to eat it. But if you throw it, the whole meal is over. Right. And it doesn't matter. Um, And then we also abide by like, this is what's for dinner. And I'm not making like 800 meals to satisfy every desire. So it's like, this is what we're having for dinner. If you don't want it, that's totally cool. We can wait for the next meal. But this is what you get. Yeah. And how, how has he acclimated to that, you know, exposure wise? Like it sounds like, you know, you're exposing him to the foods you would normally make. Like how, how accepting has he been through that process? He's honestly a really great eater. He's a great eater. He'll eat like almost anything. Um, he definitely has his preferences. And then like there'll be these things that like for some random reason he won't even taste it. He's just like, I don't want that. I'm like, like yesterday, corn. I had corn on the cob and I cut it off the cob and he was just like, I'm like, just try it at least. It's so good. Won't even try it. Just won't even do it for some reason. Maybe it's like the color, the look, the texture, something about it was not appealing, but he just didn't eat it. Uh, And this is like a caveat. Every kid is different. Like my daughter could grow up and be totally picky and never want to eat a single thing. And when I learned her preferences, I probably start, um, adapting our meals to fit the things that they would actually eat. But I'm not going to like completely, you know, we had dinner and then an hour later, she's like, I want a grilled cheese right now. I'm not going to make you, we had dinner. If that was your chance to eat. Right. We're not doing that. No, that makes sense. Yeah. No, I grew up in a household where I was the one that ate everything under the, the sun and my brother was the picky eater and my parents didn't treat either one of us differently. We had a very big garden. You know, we, we shopped at a butcher shop. So it was a lot of really good quality food. Um, and yeah, my brother was just incredibly picky and I never, I never understood it. Um, so I'm, I'm mentally preparing myself for that reality because my wife definitely falls on the pickier side. So I'm like, fingers crossed that our daughter is, is going to lean more my way, but you just, you never know. You never know. And you have so much time to learn even eating food. So there's so many obstacles you've got before that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, Adi, this has been fun. Um, and I know a lot of people, uh, once I get your information out, are going to want to read your blog and follow everything that you are doing. So tell people where they can learn more about what uh, you're doing. Well, right now, I sometimes post on social media at Adi Kaju. Sure, it'll be spelt in this um, podcast. And then I have a blog that I write very seldomly, but I will once my daughter grows up a little bit, will uh, write more for it's called the casfamily.com C A Z. Um, and I have some stuff already out there. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. My, you can find my husband at soul searching adventures.com. Yeah, I am going to actually take a peek through that and uh, I'm hoping I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to intrigue him to come on as well. So. Oh, he'll definitely come on a hundred percent and you should totally um, look into his trips. I mean, this summer they're going to Bolivia to build a raft and float down the Amazon river. Wow. I'm going to, I'm going to start trying to convince my (laughs) wife now that she can handle a four month old at home while I go on a trip to Bolivia. <laughs> Tell her to call me. Tell her to call me. I, will. I mean, Maybe you don't want to make that commitment right now, but yeah, no. 
but it, in the long term, absolutely. Well, hey, Adi, thank you so much for coming on. Um, like I said, I've been following your work for a long time, and um, it has been very helpful for me. There's there's some tools and skills that you and Micah talked about years ago that I still use with my wife and in my uh, my business and personal life. So I thank you. Cool. Well, thanks so much. Thank you again for jumping on the podcast today. I just want to take a quick second to remind you that we post a lot of free and helpful content on our social media pages. You can find us at Hardbat Athletics on Instagram and Facebook. And visit our website at www.hardbatathletics.com to learn more about what we do at our facility. Let's keep raising the standard together.